This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Do you want to communicate a corporate message effectively? Turn it into a story, says Mandalay Entertainment Group chairman Peter Guber. A consummate storyteller, his films such as Rain Man, Batman, The Color Purple, Midnight Express, and Flashdance have earned more than $3 billion in worldwide revenue and more than 50 Academy Award nominations. He argues that stories are more memorable and engaging than slide presentations, memos, or sales pitches. He was interviewed for Knowledge at Wharton by Steve Ennen, Managing Director of the Wharton Interactive Media Initiative. Well, good morning, Peter. Thank you for joining us uh, here at Knowledge at Wharton on this podcast on a, uh, after the uh, Leadership Summit here at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. We appreciate you being here. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, you, you gave a great presentation to a, a packed room here talking largely about storytelling as a, as a form of leadership going forward. Maybe you can give us a quick recap of, of a few of the high points, uh, the magic aspect, maybe. The conceit that I've come to believe in uh, over the past 40 years of my career in virtually every part of storytelling from writing books and speaking and teaching and being uh, – uh, newscaster and being a uh, talk show host for 533 interviews and making thousands of movies and television shows is that we're all wired as storytellers. You know, uh, the, the amazing thing is we're all born as a storyteller and story listener, and somehow we don't uh, venerate its value, and it's only later in our life that we recognize, hmm, I wonder what, why this is working and why it's not working. And so my mission is to put the light on the people I meet and folks I deal with and talk to, power, empowerment, to be better storytellers, story listeners, for the purpose of realizing their own success, whatever it is. Is it more of an individual philosophy or is it one uh, taken from leadership of a, from a company perspective or an enterprise leadership? Well, it's, it's not my own individual philosophy, but it is. I mean, it's, I didn't invent it. It's, it's not NIH, not invented here or invented here. It's really recognizing that that's the way uh, our tribe works. That's the way our society works, that the organizing principle of our society is language that gives us social organization, gives us tactics and strategy, and allowed us first as a creature coming out of the jungle and woods to climb up the food chain because we weren't as fast as a rhinoceros or a lion or an elephant or as big or as tough. So our organizing principle was to have language that allowed us to communicate the values, rules, and beliefs of the tribe to work together to accomplish our goals. In this case, a company or a service provider or whatever it is. Nobody is wired to remember information. They're really not. What's actionable is when information is encoded or embedded into a narrative and it's emotionally rendered, they hold the information in a different way and it becomes memorable, more actionable, and definitely virally marketable. So is that a good uh, form of leadership? I mean, how, how can you actually take these stories and communicate that to a large organization and, and bind them and, and sort of coalesce them into one mission? Every great leader is a storyteller, for sure. Uh, and, and I don't know how you can really be a good leader uh, with people uh, without having that as part of your portfolio. Now, some people do it. Um, without knowing fully what they're doing. They're just natural storytellers, but we're all natural storytellers. They've just let it come to the forefront, you know, more willingly. Uh, the offering is, is that everybody could take 
10, 12, 15 strokes off your game by just recognizing what are the navigational stakes, what are the tools that you could use to shine the light on your innate ability and therefore fulfill your destiny and your mission and get other people to join you and participate in your goals. Clearly, it's motivational and it's even manageable. I can see, you know, in some of the sports teams that your company is involved with. Uh, what about a multinational corporation? How can you uh, how can you execute on that story? Well, when you have a multinational corporation, you realize there are archetypal stories that that cross the lines of different societies, and there's some that don't. And sometimes you have to find uh, the aesthetic equivalent in um, in emotional narrative terms in another society that empowers the group the same way a particular story, The Three Bears and Little Red Riding Hood, does in yours, or the idea that Obama got elected as Barack Hussein Obama in the United States with a very traditional American story and narrates those stories really well and knows how to take his policies and issues and narrate them into, into manageable personal stories that people can talk, listen to, hear, are moved emotionally and tell other people. Yet, if he were to go to Afghanistan, uh, the mere translation of that story, using content as metaphor, he would have to find some other framing devices to get that emotional reaction. But the, it's the, still the same tool. It's, you know, it, it is the same tool. And the idea of recognizing what's interesting to your audience may be different in different cultures, but what's interesting. And you, if you're interested in it, and if you find your way in through that interest, you'll connect with their heart. And it, we see it with leadership across the world. We see it with, you know, with uh, Nelson Mandela, who was able to uh, incite and enthuse and, and evolve people of different cultures. We see it with different types of leaders. We even see it with despots, despots that are able to do this. So the idea is that um, story and the ability to narrate your offering is agnostic. It, it's, it's a tool. I mean, the gun, gun doesn't kill people. People using the gun kills people. Using the gun saves people. Using the gun hunts for food. So it's not, it's not the gun. And so therefore, narrative, the story is a tool. And it's, it's used as purposefulness. We're talking about purposeful business storytelling for leadership purposes. And, and that's, that, that's the indicia that we try to shine a light on. How do we do that? And really, we're all wired for that. We just have to put the switch at a higher level, you know, get a little more bass, a little more volume, and get a little more practice with it, and you get tremendous results. So as a business leader, how do you communicate that story to mid-level managers, and not just one, but any across the country? How do you make sure everybody's hearing the same story and falling into the allegory and moving forward with that? Well, the idea is you, you move people's hearts and emotions before you move their feet and even their tongue. Um, and so the idea that I think what narrative does is it excites a group of people to a common course of action and makes them the really good narrator and the really good story, makes them apostles or advocates of the story. If you have to tell as a leader the story to every one of your 3,500 employees in 54 countries, you're, it's asinine. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you could, yes, you could intercast it, broadcast it, podcast it, it can help. But the idea of what really helps is when someone lays their hands on somebody else, and I mean that metaphorically, and, and as an apostle, as an advocate, as a viral marketer, as, an, as a uh, first mover, tells you their experience. They render that experience to you. So you try to um, uh, use narrative to um, excite and move these other people to move other people. That's really the secret. So... You know, when, when 
uh, General Motors is designing a new a, a new campaign to uh, uh, say that the car business isn't over and GM isn't over. It was interesting. What the first story they told was to their own employees. That was really the first story they told, not to the not to the media and not to the uh, marketplace. They told them their own their, their own employees. Their audience was their own employees, and they had to they had to be very transparent. They had to be able to say, you know. We goofed. We missed it. We started late. We didn't. We didn't. We, we didn't have a accent on the had the accent on the wrong syllable. You know. <laughs> so the idea is, um, they were vulnerable, empathetic, and they told a story. There was several stories told about uh, the folks who generated the initial start of General Motors and how they couldn't see what was going to happen, but they believed. And they used that founder story as a way to re-energize the belief in a legacy for the company, but not a legacy for bad behavior and poor performance and, and uh, a lack of uh, consideration for all the environmental elements that were going on that the car company was obviously indifferent to. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge because you have to rec recognize that in every narrative experience, there's just so much advertising you do. You need the people who have the experience and receive the benefit to take that benefit and their experience of it and retell it in their own language as their experience to other people. That's what viral advocacy is about. Is the success of viral advocacy uh, in this scenario measurable? Well, it is measurable. Um, the metrics of, of performance is measurable. You can say uh, how many automobiles were sold, how, how much healthcare has uh, uh, performed, what is, the, what is the recidivistic rate in prisons. You can, you, can, you can look at any series of businesses or enterprises and have them measurable. The question is, are they measurable against that particular event that you believe made the Delta change? And that's the question. You know, if, if all of a sudden more people are buying uh, uh, Cheerios now than they did last year, and uh, you have a, a story you've told that Cheerios isn't just about weight, it's about good health because of your heart and lower cholesterol, and you, and you tell stories about about people who have really performed and enhanced their life about it, you can say, look, we've had a 14% increase in Cheerios sale. But you have to look and say, is that completely uh, as a cause and result of this campaign? Or is it a cause and result of price point change? Is it the marketplace? It's, it's, you know, it's impossible often to say exactly what it is, but you could see the Mini Cooper go from 0.001 recognition and 0.0001 purchase in America, and then when it, when James Bond or or uh, Thomas Crown uh, made it cool to drive the Mini Cooper, and then he talked about himself that it was a fun, really fun car to drive. Suddenly, it wasn't 0.001 anymore. Well, I don't know what else they were doing differently at that time. So you'd say there must be a pony here, you know, something's going on, you know. See, it's very hard sometimes to lay it exactly at that, but, you know, the idea is if you get that improvement, you know, it's more than likely you can find it as one of the major sources. Igniting, narrative ignites, or is a kindling instrument, or ignites the pilot light that, that, flan that and then the oxygen fans the conflagration by the people embracing it. And so what you really have to recognize is there's no way that information 
can, can do it. I mean, if you think about stories changing the world, it's constantly that. We had Vietnam. There were 90 million trillion stories written about Vietnam, but none more poignant than the little girl running with a napalm on it. You'll tell you the story of Vietnam or the policeman shooting the guy in the head. That's, that's a story. You know, a picture is an artifact. It's a story just like words are. Uh, sometimes it's more, even more powerful than, than all of the words. So the idea is um, it's an excitement and incitement to action. And when it's purposeful, when it's aimed at doing that, but it's also generous and vulnerable by the teller, it's very powerful. You mentioned a couple times uh, in your speech earlier and in this conversation even, the, the viral aspect. I mean, it's not just the story told by a company or a brand, but now you have to deal with a lot of other voices and a lot of other storytellers out there thanks to the, the um, interactive media. What's your take on how that role uh, builds into the overall story? I, I think today, you know, there's an old THX ad uh, plays in the movie theater that says, the audience is listening. Mm. It's one generation behind. The audience is talking now. And so they're listening and talking back and talking not just back to you, but they're talking to each other. So um, you, you, have to, you have to depend upon that for success. It's not, it's not an incident that happens accidentally. Uh, it may look like it happens accidentally, and even better if it looks like it happens accidentally. But that has to be what purposeful storytelling is. It's to move people's hearts so that they move their feet. You know, uh, you know, you yell fire, and people get scared. They're going to die, and they move their feet. You don't have to tell them, move your feet, you know, run for the door. They know that. Uh, so what you need to, what you need to do when, with purposeful narrative is recognize um, three things. What's going to be interesting to the audience emotionally? How to bond and bind your call to action to it and how to be um, willing to surrender control. You tell your story and you have to surrender control. You won't move everybody. But the irony is that if it moves enough people, the hurting mechanism of it, if it moves enough people and people lay hands on other people and say, oh, it's the most exciting thing you've ever heard or this is wonderful about this company or you can't believe they really care about me. If you move that, that experience moves somebody else. So you, you can't depend upon changing everybody's heart and mind and wallet at the same moment with a single story. You hope that it has its viralness, that, it, that it's able to be told and retold, and other people reach other people in, in different experiential ways. And that is the power, power that the story migrates through a, a class or a group of people to create an organizational belief system. I mean, if you think about it, we all grew up, and we still grew up, with religious belief rules and stories, and all the tribes that we all belonged to for thousands of years ago had rules, bad values and beliefs, and what were they encoded in? The stories. They call them the Quran, they call them the Bible, call them the Torah, they call them, you know, the, 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 the manifesto, even the communist manifesto. I mean, they're all bound in that. They're not, they're, they're stories. Why are these stories? Because people can then encode the information and tell them to each other. And I think that that's, you know, business has to, business has to recognize that leadership depends upon inciting your management team and your middle-level middle managers and the people in the field to an action that's coherent, that's driven in the same direction. They don't have to speak it the same way, but they, the heart of the story is the same way. And it's not that it's easy or hard. It's the only way.
It's not like there's another way. You give them all just the information, they won't remember it a day later. They just won't. Had to put a story behind it. Had to move them uh, at an emotional level as well as a, a vision level. Hundred percent. You know. So the other question that comes to mind though is now that the tribes are online, uh, the idea of surrendering control can often be troubling uh, to any any company as they see that conversation and that that story diluted and uh, diversified. What's what's your response to uh, to that as the tribes move online? Control's an illusion. I mean, you don't control anybody. You even try controlling yourself. You know. Ask somebody who's smoking to stop smoking, drinking to stop drinking, stop hitting their wife, stop yelling at their kids, stop driving fast. Whatever it is, it's very, very difficult. You really can't, you, you can inflict pain on somebody and enough pain that they'll ultimately the pain is, is sufficient to force them not to do it, but not to not want to do it. So the idea, what, what you have to recognize is that you provide navigational stakes you provide emotional incentives. That's what stories do. And you provide the hurting mechanism of social proof of other people doing it and getting value from it. And you surrender control. There'll always be aberrant people that want other products. They want to do it differently. They don't like, they don't like your, your management style. They don't like your story. There's always people like that. But you, 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 you aim towards the center of the target and you know where the target is and you fire it and you hope like hell it hits the target, hopefully the bullseye, or enough bullseyes, that cumulatively together, it creates the result. And then other people carry the flag. You know, that's really the magic in it, is that other people tell their story of the story and their ownership of it and your ability to surrender it and let them own it. Surrendering proprietorship and letting somebody own it is the key. That's really the key. And even if it's a collaborative story, a tribal story, allowing them to own it. You look how the Bible's morphed. You look how all those great stories that have held cultures together and then driven people to wars, you know, they, 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 they modulate, they change. People tell them differently. Uh, the, the power of story is not just in the words or the artifacts, it's in the telling. It's in the rendering. And it's, it's you could say, well, it's an art form. It is. There are some people that are you know, more effective in it than others, but anybody can take 10, 12, 15 strokes off their game and change their result. You don't, you're not going to become John Grisham or Jack Welch or Barack Obama. Likely not. But you don't have to. If you can change your game 10, 12, 15, 20, 25%, more joy and more success. How has storytelling changed with all the digital media, with the blogs and the, and the YouTubes and the viral? I mean, viral is a tough strategy. Containing uh, and controlling the message is, as you mentioned, ridiculous a lot of times. But how has the actual art of storytelling uh, storytelling changed? Well, the art hasn't changed at all. Zero. Not one percent. What the craft has changed and the tools that enable it have changed. So if you think of the food chain starting out with, you know, a shaman in front of a fire, forget, you know, shaman in front of a cave with no fire, talking to his novitiates, his 30 young men and women in the tribe and telling them not to go into the woods and telling them the story of the woods. That story train changed when new technology came. What was new technology? Somebody around the flickering embers of fire picked up a cape horn of a buffalo and put it on his head and danced around the fire and the fire cast flickering images on the cave wall and all the young people screamed and yelled and they wanted to listen to his story rather than the other shaman's story who just stood there and drawled on about it. So that was 
voila, the prop was born, new technology. We've had a consistent change of technology. The spaces between them have been long and far and distant over our society. It's only in the last millisecond that we've seen the change in trajectory and momentum of tools, you know, like the telegraph, like the telephone, like the television, like the radio, like the internet, like satellite distribution, like mobile. That's only in the last, huh, what was that? Second. And these tools have changed the availability of resources for people to tell stories and reach audiences, but they haven't changed the resourcefulness. That means the inside of you has got to be, you know, if I put the microphone in front of you and you have nothing to say and you don't understand who the audience is and what your role is to talk to them or who your individual person you're talking to and how to in, uh, incite their imagination and move their hearts, the microphone isn't going to do it. You know, nobody says, hey, I just heard a bunch of O's and ones. Can you, I heard 10,450 million O's and ones. They'd arrest you and take you to the nut house. You heard the O's and ah's. You heard the, we're all analog. So the idea is at the end of the day, all technology is, is a, it's a cold comforter unless it enriches the artist, the, the palate of the artist, that's the teller, that's you and me, the businessman, the service provider, the human resource person, or it enriches the palate of the audience that they, they get it better, they can do more with it, they can hold on to it, they can replay it, they can listen to it in different places, they can talk to other people, they can play bits and pieces, they can reformat it, they can use it like YouTube as their own. All those things are what it does. It shortens the distance between the artist and the audience, between the te teller and the listener, whatever words you want to use, between the management and, the, and their um, um, employees, between the board of directors and the shareholders, whatever it is, it shortens the distance or it deepens the, dis deepens the resonance or it makes the tool available so they can talk to each other better, or get feedback, all of those things. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all analog. We're all, our evolutionary framework has not changed. Carl Sagan, who uh, astrophysicist who I did contact with, said an amazing thing. He said, because I had been to New Guinea, he said, if you took a, a New Guinea Stone, Stone Age man, just when he was born, maybe for the six or seven months before he was born, you nurtured their mother well, so they weren't, they weren't malnourished or, or the like. But you did that. And you took that Stone Age person that knew no, nobody except for the Stone Age culture they lived in, and you brought him to uh, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and grew him up in a rich, cultural, smart environment. They could, have, they could be a super, super scientist, a great artist, great anybody. We have not changed. We've not really changed very much. Our evolutionary path has not changed. We've grown a little taller. We've lived a little longer. But the idea of our, our tribal nature, you just, the veneer of civilization is so thin, you tell the wrong story and you get Hitler. You get tell, you know, don't serve bread in Chicago for three days, you get a bread riot. So the idea is that stories ignite the population and the people in companies and managements and small groups and everything to do the damnedest of things. The damnedest of things, we're subject to it. So the idea is we want to learn not just to be a good story, not learn, we want to, we want to improve our ability to be a good storyteller for our own success, whatever it is. But there's another side to it, to be a good story decoder, a good story listener, so that we're listening to our chairman, our CEO, our human resource person. We can ask them fundamental questions. Are they being empathetic? Do they hear me? Uh, you know, is, is there a generosity in, in, in there? Do they have skin in the game? Are they congruent with their message? Um, you know, whatever it is, we become a good story listener. And therefore, we become a better business person, a better business partner. We can ask questions that can draw it out. And if they're not really good enough in that, in that frame to draw out the real information that we need inside the story so we know we're getting what we need. 
So it's, 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 you know, not something, the irony is I teach people to be in creative writing courses and things like that. There's some art and some craft in it. Storytelling is what you're born with. You, you're born with it. You're born that way. I mean, just look at all your kids, little kids. They just love it. They just can't, they can see it over and over and over and over again. They love it. They love the certainty. They love the variety. They love the telling. They grow. They learn the rules of the road from it. Why would we surrender it in business? Why wouldn't we engage that tool fero ferociously to move our management, to move our employees, to move our shareholders, the board of directors, to deal with the media who only deal with stories? The media isn't even interested in the facts. They just want the story. And it's their story they want. So if you don't know how to tell a good story, they're going to tell their story. You've brought this concept down into a very manageable acronym, MAGIC. Right. You know, it's something you can measure in a lot of cases. Maybe uh, in the short time we have left, you can give us a little insight in MAGIC. Okay, well, the reason why I just used the word MAGIC is people think stories are always MAGIC. They think it's the ultimate sleight of hand. It's really not about state-of-the-art technology. It's about state-of-the-heart technology. The idea is, you know, you're moving people's hearts. And um, what I wanted to try to do was just to look at some of the tools and resources and navigational stakes, and could I put them in a simple way so I could just think about it quickly just before you get yourself in state, before you go into your meeting with your employees or you're a human resource person before you talk to two or three people or before an oral narrative before you talk to a customer or, or a service provider or the media or your shareholders or whatever it is. So I kept thinking, what could I do? And then, so I you tried to use magic as a tool, just say, is there a magic? Yeah, the magic is here in your heart. And what does that mean? You got to motivate, M. You got to be motivated. You got to be motivated first. Tell yourself your own story. Make sure you're motivated because they will see you're not authentic. If your authenticity doesn't shine through, if you don't have the right intention, you ain't going to get the audience's attention. There's no chance. Zero. They'll get it before you even speak the first word. So that's the first thing. And that's for motivating them. Then when you motivate the person you're listening to, you are trying to get, if you will, uh, their attention and you want to be congruent. You want to show them that you have skin in the game, that you have your have alignment of interest, they say in business school. Or, or another way of saying it is that your heart, tongue, feet, and wallet are going in the same direction. Because when they see that lack of congruence, there's a lack of authenticity, and they don't believe what you say. Your words are resting on an empty, an empty palate. Uh, and then next thing is audience. Understand, if you think of the one listener, a person listening to you as an audience, you render an experience to them. You try to engage them emotionally, not intellectually. You may have intellectual content. It can't be an empty calorie. But the idea is you're engaging them emotionally. You're creating a palate on which this information is to rest. So you look at it. A for audience, think of them as interactive. Think of it not as me, but we. Think of it as that connection. Then G, your goal. All storytelling narrative is goal-oriented. If you're a lawyer, you want to find your, the client not guilty. If you're a doctor, you want them to take the medicine and feel a certain way and have a placebo effect. If you're a, if you're a, uh, um, a politician, you want them to vote for you. If you're uh, talking to a customer, you want them to buy your product. If you're talking to an employee, you want them to sell the message the way you want them to sell the message or behave a certain way or join the tribe or whatever it is. So your goal, being transparent is important. But if it's generous, if it looks like it's we're in it together, it's a we, not a me situation, it becomes more compelling. You feel not, you're, not, you're not being done to you, it's being done with you. 
Uh, and then I, interactive, all narrative, all storytelling is interactive. Just think of what is happening, interactive media, why it's so compelling. Because you can talk back, but not just back to the talker, the leader, the CEO, the human resource person, but to other people. In fact, it's encouraged. In fact, that's what good storytelling does. It creates a viral advocacy amongst the listeners. So interactivity is really important. And you can, more of the senses you engage, uh, the more likely it is to be resonant and memorable. Um, and then see content. You always have to remember you have to have a good content, but it comes from everywhere. It comes from your own experience. Let me tell you about what happened to me yesterday. And then people are rendering a first-person experience. It can be history. Look what happened. Cortez, you know, burned the boats so that no one would return and would fight Montezuma. You tell that story. Or, or it can be in an artifact, the baseball, Barry Bonds baseball. It tells a story of steroids. It tells a story of triumph. It tells a story of overcoming things. It tells lots of different stories are nested in it. Or it can be... You know, uh, uh, finally, it can be uh, a, a, a completely synthetic story that, that's, that's, that's put together where you um, put the elements together to, that, that are, if you will, uh, an illusion. Uh, it can be like, you know, the three bears you're telling a, a, a fantasy story. But all of them, at their heart, are designed to make people, folks that are listening to it, have an emotional reaction. If... if, if Somebody says to you, I heard a story, it made me think. You're listening to a flop. It's got to move your heart and then make you think. They go first here at your heart or your gut, and they migrate up to your head, and then they migrate to your wallet and your feet. So you get the other kind of action. If you aim at their wallet or their feet, you ain't going to get them to dance or pay, you know, unless they've got a gun to their head. And that won't work. Well, you've certainly given us a lot of great content here in our conversation, and we appreciate your time with Knowledge of Wharton, and thank you very much for uh, visiting at, at the Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks for inviting me. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.